Welcome, everyone. I am Paul of Fever, the Zojo Developer Evangelist, and this is Zojo Talk. And for this episode, we're going to try and do something a little bit different. That's right. This is uh, Tim Dietrich and Paul. We're actually going to turn the tables on you in this episode. And instead of you uh, having a conversation or interviewing someone in the community, I'm actually going to interview you. So. Oh, boy. <laughs> Are you surprised? <laughs> Didn't see this coming, right? So, uh, yeah, you know, the idea for this podcast came about because of, you know, after listening to all of the Zojo Talk episodes and hearing you interview people, you know, you get to get to know you a little bit just by the questions that you ask and the conversations that you've had with others. But there's never been one definitive, you know, episode where we get to learn about you. So I thought this would be a really great way to do that. And, uh, and so that's why we're here. Sounds like fun. So I thought I'd get started by kind of asking you about your sort of early years. You know, what was it that first got you interested in programming and in computers in general? Was you know, there some event in your childhood or teen years that sort of set things in motion? Yeah, there's definitely a, a single event I can recall pretty clearly um, when I was a kid. Uh, probably the big thing I did when I was a kid is I played baseball. Still do that, actually. But uh, I remember I was outside playing baseball of some kind, wiffle ball or something in the front yard. And my dad called me into the house. He had a friend come over. He says, Paul, come in. You got to check this out. And this friend had brought over his Atari computer. I forget what it was, a 400, 800 or something. And it hooked it up to the TV and was playing around with it. And my dad wanted me to see it. And his friend had, uh, it, it had basic in it of some manner and typed in a program that said 10 print Paul, 20 go to 10. And my name kind of just scrolled across the screen. And I was just staring at it, my mouth open, like, oh, my God. <laughs> and that was it. I had to have one. I bugged my dad for months after that. Can we get a computer? Can we get a computer? Can we get it? All the time. Until we finally ended up getting our own Atari 400, which it was. Uh, i trying to remember the time frame. This must have been like 1983 or so, I'm guessing. Maybe 82. Uh, but sometime around then. And uh, so that's kind of what kicked it off. We got uh, the computer... And I remember back then, the, those computers, they didn't come with the programming language. So all you, you couldn't do anything with the old Atari. You had to actually buy BASIC for it and plug in this cartridge. And so we didn't get that right away because those things are expensive back then. So eventually we got a BASIC cartridge, and I was able to start typing in programs. Mostly you type in a program from a magazine or something. And that's kind of how I learned to program is by typing in magazine programs and then changing them, editing them tweaking things, running them again, seeing what worked. So I taught myself how to program in basic that way. And then over time, I just, uh, you know, I just loved it. We had an Atari 400, and then I got an Atari 800 XL, and I wrote a bunch of games and stuff with that and apps. I remember I wrote an app. Uh, they weren't called apps there. I guess they were just called programs. But I wrote a program to track my paper route, customers and who paid and stuff like that. And then eventually, when I went off to college, I upgraded to an Atari ST, the fancy newfangled you know, thing with the windows and a mouse and all mm -hmm. that. And by that point, I was primarily programming in Pascal and C. And that's what I would have primarily, I also primarily used in college. So then I, I used that for many, many years until pretty much Atari went out of business, sad times. And I had to get another computer. So at the time, I... Uh, I was not a Macintosh user. I had never really used Macintoshes. 
And uh, so the first computer that I got after I got rid of my Atari ST was a Windows computer. And I carefully researched it, and I bought a Windows computer that could run OS2. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> so I also was not a big fan of Microsoft Windows. So I bought, I, uh, I think the computer I got was one of the first ones that had a Pentium chip in it. I think, if I remember, it was the one that had that infamous floating point bug back in the day. So I got a computer, and I, I made sure that its specs would let it run OS2. And I also bought OS2, and it came with something like 30 floppy disks or mm -hmm. something like that. And I, I installed OS2, and I used OS2 for many years. And, uh, and then I switched over to Windows NT when OS2 kind of got dropped by IBM. And I used Windows NT for a few years. And then uh, getting closer to when I started with uh, Zojo was back in 2001, I, again, I had mentioned I didn't really do much with Macintoshes, didn't pay any attention to them. I always consider them to be kind of toy computers with their little older operating system that could barely multitask and other weird things. So I never would really use them. But I had a, a friend of mine who was uh, working on his PhD at school and stopped by the house with his new PowerBook and was showing off a beta of OS X. And he was just like, Paul, it's Unix. Yeah. And I was like, what? Unix. And, uh, you know, from school as well, you know, all of us school E types, you know, were high on Unix and, you know, always thought it was the greatest thing. So, like, really? Let's get Unix on it? And he showed me all this stuff and, I'm like, holy cow, it is Unix. So, I, I watched that for a few months. And then, when uh, I got my first Mac, when Apple started shipping Macs and were including OS 10 with it. And I actually booted the Mac up, it booted into OS 9. And then I used the internet to figure out how to stop it from doing that because <laughs> I didn't know how to use OS 9. I switched it so it booted in OS 10, and I only ever used OS 10. So I used OS 10 10.0, mm -hmm. which a lot of people that were old Mac users were like, oh, it was horrible. It was so slow. It's awful, this, that, and the other things. But I was coming from Windows NT. I thought right. it was great. It wasn't really slower than Windows NT, really. And it was fun playing with a brand new thing and figuring it out and getting all these apps. So. That's how I got on the Mac side, and that leads to how I picked up uh, Zojo, because after I got my Mac, I wanted, I had it for a few months, and then I, you know, I wanted to be able to program it. Mm -hmm. I had a full-time job as a programmer doing, uh, what was I doing back then? That would have been, yeah, Windows programming. But I got this shiny new Mac with OS X, and I wanted to program it, and I started searching around for programming tools for the Mac, and the one that was most commonly used, I guess, back then was Code Warrior. Mm -hmm. But that was C or C++, and I didn't really care for that. So I did more digging and digging, and I found what was called Real Basic. And I said, well, that looks interesting. So I ended up buying uh, Real Basic, the definitive guide, and read that from cover to cover and said, yeah, okay, this seems like this could work for me. So then that's when I first bought Real Basic, and I've been using it ever since. Wow. Okay. So I think I know the answer to this one, but you mentioned that, um, you know, you were taking some computer classes in college. Was that your major? Was computer science your major? Yes. Yes. I went to college for computer science. Uh, I didn't actually graduate from college. I, I left my junior year to go work full time as yeah. a computer programmer, but uh, college isn't exactly my kind of thing. But yeah, I, uh, I did computer science 
and I, and I finished all my computer science classes. It's all those other ones they wanted you to do that uh, yeah. would get in my way. <laughs> gotcha. But yeah, that definitely was my major. And even in high school and stuff, we had a lot of, uh, not a lot, but we started to have computer-related classes. In high school, I remember we had, you know, Apple II basic programming classes. And then we added a Pascal programming class when I was in high school, which a funny story about that one, which I, I've told uh, people here at Zojo, but I, I don't think I, I've told a bunch of group in general. But at WWDC this past year, uh, Apple announced a new file system, right? The new Apple file system, I guess. And I yeah. wanted to learn more about that. So once the videos went up, I would click through to go watch the video. And the slide came up and it said Apple file system, and it had the name of the presenters. And one of them was uh, a guy named Dominic Giampaolo. And I'm like, that's a really unusual name, and I know that name. And I went to high school with someone called Dominic Giampaolo. Well, it turns out it was that Dominic Giampaolo, the one that works at Apple that pretty much developed the new Apple file system. He and I were in that Pascal class together. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Have you been in, in contact with him since? I have time? not. I, I, you know, I hadn't really thought about it uh, in the past. I, but I, I was like, I couldn't believe it was the same guy, but the name was pretty unique. And when I saw him in the video, I was like, oh, yeah, that's the same guy. And, and uh, <laughs> that's, so, it's a small world, isn't so it? So then I looked him up a little bit more, and it turns out he has since moved back to my hometown. And he actually, in addition to working at Apple, is part owner of a bicycle shop that is right down the road from my parents' house. I drive by it every time I go up to see my parents. So, yeah, it's pretty funny. I haven't touched base with him. I don't know that he would remember me. He was a year ahead of me in school and this was the only class we ever had and i think it was just a half half year class so he, i doubt he would remember me but <laughs> that's worth a shot you know? yeah yeah, yeah well, that's pretty cool so you mentioned leaving college to um, actually take a position doing programming what kind of work were you doing back then like what, what were you developing yeah yeah that that first job i took out of school was uh DOS programming, actually. <laughs> That's how old yeah. I am, I guess, at this point. And uh, I was doing DOS database programming. So this was a tool called Advanced Revelation, which was kind of a basic-like programming language and a database kind of intertwined together. And the company I worked for made software for uh, pharmaceutical companies to track uh, contracts. I think this one tracked Medicaid-related contracts or something like that. And... Uh, so I was brought in as the, you know, kind of the junior developer to start on that particular team. And uh, it was great. It was a great learning experience. It was a, one of those lucky things for how you get a job because I mostly even just got that interview because when I had interned at a couple places when I was at college, they used that tool. So it was on my resume because I had heard of it. And so that was, and it wasn't super popular thing at the time. So they're like, hey, this guy knows exactly what we're using. Let's bring him in. And it worked out well. So yeah, I did, I did. I worked there for like nine years or something like that. I didn't work on DOS for that long, though. Luckily, that would have been awful. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a long time for your first position. Where did you end up going from there? Like, did you know? At what point did you eventually go out on your own? What were the steps? Yeah, well, I worked there. You said I was working on the DOS thing, and then uh, eventually we had uh, the product. We had newer products that were being built on Windows at the time you know, the state-of-the-art new Windows, because this would have been the mid-90s and Windows was just starting to take hold in businesses and whatnot. So our new product was being built on Windows, and I wasn't on that team. But uh, I was able to convince management that we should take the DOS version and make a Windows version on it. So 
that was the next thing I worked on there. And I spent most of my rest of my time there working on that. And that was great. But eventually I ended up leaving there. That company went public like in 2000-ish, you know, right in the boom era. And so the company, when I started, was like 20 people. And by the time I left, it was like 400. Wow. And I didn't like working at a 400-person company. <laughs> I hadn't liked it for years, actually, but, you know, I stuck it out. Uh, so I was just like, you know, I, I, you know, all the levels of management and the weird decisions and not being directly involved in decisions and stuff started to wear me out. So I ended up looking for other work. And... I switched to another company that was around here that did .NET development because at the time this would have been like 2002 or three. .NET was pretty new, and I kind of liked it and I wanted to learn more about it. So I took a company that I took a job at a company that worked with .NET, and I worked there for about four years until the same sort of things happened. The company got bought by someone else, and it was bigger, and then there was more people and stuff. And again, I didn't want to work for a big company. So, uh, I had, uh, I had been wanting to quit there for years actually, <laughs> but my wife wasn't too keen on that. And, uh, so eventually about six months before I left, I decided I would see if it was possible to start doing some consulting using, I guess this would have still been called real basic way back then. So six months before I quit, I started, uh, keeping track of all the uh, contacts I had made throughout the years put them in a CRM system actually, and then started sending out emails asking if anyone needed anyone to do development. And surprisingly, I heard back from a bunch of people and I had work within the day and lots of work within a month. So I did that for about six months or so, enough to essentially prove to my wife that this was feasible and, and convince myself that, yeah, this was something I wanted to do. So then at the job I was working at, I, uh, I went in and said, you know what? I said, I think I'm probably done here. Uh, at that point, I was, you know, getting pretty fed up with .NET. And I, didn't, I don't even think I was doing a lot of .NET coding at that point. I was doing a lot of server administration and uh, virtual machine stuff. And so I ended up leaving that job, although I stayed on with them as a consultant for months afterwards, which was a nice transition, and, mm -hmm. and then did my own thing with uh, consulting. And I did that for... That would have been like 2008. So I did that for like four years, just under four years before I uh, took the job at Zojo. And now I've been here. Well, that's good. That's a good segue into, you know, how did that all come about? How did you end up going from being a Zojo developer to, you know, actually working for them? Well, uh, you know, just funny circumstances, I guess. I don't know. I uh, Zojo had posted that they were looking for someone um, to essentially take over the documentation and do other things. And I was still doing consulting work back then, but I think this posting maybe had come up like around Thanksgiving or something like that. And I was like, well, that's really interesting. I, I you know, I, obviously I knew all the people that worked at Zojo for many years, having gone to conferences and talked to them on phones and things. And I was like, you know, I really like those people. I really like the product. It's a small company. I really like small companies. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and then, uh, and they also had every, people work from home at that point, whereas in the earlier they had people having to move to Austin and Texas wasn't really my cup of tea. So that wasn't an option in the past, but it's like, you know, I talked over my wife, said, you know, this sounds like it'd be really cool. I'd like to, you know, 
maybe switch gears and apply there and see how that goes and stop with the consulting thing. And she ended up saying, yeah, that makes sense. So I did that and, you know, talked with them and we all agreed that it made sense. So boom, there I was like a little over a month or so later doing cool Zojo stuff. So when you were initially hired, was it just to maintain the documentation or was it more than that? I think their original job posting was something like uh, product educator or something like that. So it was primarily to do the documentation. That was definitely the big thing. But I mean, to do, you know, a lot of the stuff I do now, uh, they wanted, you know, webinars, uh, marketing stuff. I mean, technically I'm like half on the engineering team and half on the marketing team. So, I mean, other than work on the IDE, I do whatever (laughs) I'm needed to do, I guess. (laughs) It sounds like even back then, really the role was developer evangelist, even I think, but at that time, that's not what we would call it. You know, you now refer to what you're doing as developer evangelism. Yeah, so I had pushed that the, we go with the, the developer evangelist name. Uh, just, you know, even when I worked at older companies, I, I always insisted I had the title of a software architect or something like that. I don't know why. I don't, no one asked what your title is, but I always thought they were cool. So. <laughs> gotcha. So, you know, you've been there for a while now. What is it like to work at Sojo? You mentioned that it's a small company. You know, which is something that I think appeals to you. And, yeah, yeah, I definitely, I like small because you, you don't get bored or you don't get into this thing where like you work at a big company and your job is just to do X and that's all you do all day long and you start to go crazy. Um, a small company, everyone has to chip in and do stuff and you don't always do the same thing every day and you may be asked to do something that's outside of your area of expertise or wheelhouse and you got to be comfortable with that. And that's what I really like about small companies and you know, work from Zojo, I can easily say it's the best job I've ever had. Uh, it's the most fun. I work at home, which I really like. Uh, and I've been doing, what year is this? This is 2016. So I've been working at home full-time since 2008. And before that, I worked at home part-time, even when I had uh, a job at the company that was, you know, only like 15 minutes from here. And, you know, as I say to people, I don't know if I could ever actually work in an office again. I think I'm too spoiled. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so when I first started working at home, I actually had a, a one of those co-working spaces mm-hmm. that you may have heard about. In you know, some cities will get you know, you can rent space in an office with other people and kind of go in and have a desk, and so you're around other people. So actually, you know, subscribe. They had it as a subscriber thing, so you or a membership. So you pay some dollar amount per month, and you you get to go and use it whenever you want. But I found I would never use the thing because it was too much of a hassle driving to the city to park, to walk in, and it was just easier to just not do that. So I ended up letting that lapse. But I mean, working at Zojo is, um, I have a dedicated home office here. Uh, It's got a door. It's my work office. If I'm in my office, I'm working. Generally speaking, if I'm not in my office, I'm not working. Uh, We use video chat for talking all the time. We have daily meetings to keep track of stuff. Uh, we all have our tasks, you know, we're supposed to do. Yeah. It's very different now working from home than it was way back, you know, where you, you kind of lost that, the thing that, that vibe that you get when you get to see people and interact with people throughout the day, it seems like that's changing now because of the technologies that we have. Like you you mentioned video chat, you and I are doing this over zoom, there's Slack, you know, there's, I am it's, there's so many ways to communicate with a remote team. So you know, it seems like a, it's a really good 
Yeah, it is good. I mean, certainly you got to have the temperament for it because it's hard for some people to, if they're at home, actually focus on work. They'll get distracted by home stuff, which is why it's so important that I have a dedicated office. So I don't like work at the kitchen table or anything like that. <laughs> I'm in my office. If my door's closed, I'm not to be bothered kind of thing. And, uh, and that works really well. But yeah, I mean, the other thing you got to keep in mind too is, you know, technical nerdy geeky types generally don't like being around people a lot either so <laughs> there's not a lot of downside to working at home if you can if you can stay focused <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I can completely relate i know exactly what you mean so what can you tell us about the zojo team you know it's, it seems like it's a small team there at zojo obviously some extremely talented people that are working there you kind of get to see their personalities a little bit through like things on the forum and just, you know, things on Twitter and so on. But, you know, it, is it a team that's kind of fun to work with? Are they serious? Is it a little mix of both? Like, you know, what was well, it like? Uh, well, definitely a mix of both. I, mean, I say pretty fun overall. Um, but, you know, like to seriously get stuff done. Uh, you know, we, d we don't have uh, – because of the way the product is released, you know, quarterly, there's not like generally big gaps in shipment or things like that. So it's, uh, you know, always generally working on whatever the next thing is. So everyone has to stay focused on that. But I mean, it, it's a fun group. The developers, the engineers, as they refer to themselves, meet every day for a you know, kind of like an agile scrum type meeting. I think we, we call it a huddle, but uh, it's the same sort of thing. And we just briefly go over what we're working on for the day and then discuss any, you know, conflicts between what people are working on or anything like that. And uh, so we always all talk every day, which is good because you don't want to work remotely with people and then never talk to them for a really long period of time. That that would feel really kind of weird. Uh, so, I mean, it's kind of funny because we always get together at XDC before the conference. We have, you know, on-site meetings and you know, other than perhaps making it easier for each of us to talk over each other, it's hard to do when you're in a conference call. <laughs> it's not a lot of difference. <laughs> so it, it's kind of funny. I mean, because we still, we, I mean, we literally see each other all the time. And the same thing, I talk with Dana and Alyssa all the time. I have regular meetings with them. And it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's fun. Dana and Alyssa are a blast. And we have some uh, funny, they're, they're probably more fun than the engineers. I'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we'll, you can edit that out if you want. <laughs> no way. It's true. It's true. I'm going with it. <laughs> so um, you mentioned that you guys get together before XDC, but are there any other times throughout the year where you are all physically in one place? Do you guys have like a annual like, or is XDC kind of the annual thing? Yeah, we use XDC as the annual meetup kind of thing that's more convenient uh you know once a year kind of travel so we we get there you know ahead of time and we meet for a couple of days beforehand and then uh, that way you know we're just all completely drained a hundred percent at the end of that week rather than some other percentage yeah i see all right so i've got some other sort of zojo related questions for you um you know, you probably get to see a lot of things that people are developing with Zojo. What's the most impressive Zojo-based app that you've seen developed by someone else? And then what's the most impressive Zojo app or Zojo app that you've developed personally that you're kind of like, yeah, that was really cool? Hmm, that's a tricky question. Let's see, most impressive app I've seen. Well, the most impressive app from a, I can't believe you did this in a Zojo kind of thing, is actually 
an iOS app that Dave Duke made. It's a arcade game, almost like a Space Invaders on steroids kind of thing. Uh, I'll have to look up the name to go in the show notes as I, I don't recall it off the top of my head. But that is the most impressive thing because that was about a year ago, just before the conference last year, and I had been working a lot on game stuff. I had done a lot of game tutorials and webinars, and I was doing a game session. So I had been researching a lot about how to make gaming things, and I'm not really a gaming guy, so just to see how he had done some of that stuff was pretty impressive. I did a Skype chat with him where he showed me some of the stuff, and I was just, I was completely wowed. And that's mostly because that was completely outside my area of expertise, so I wouldn't even know how to do some of the stuff he did at all. So that that kind of floored me as an impressive thing. And most of the type of apps I make and have worked on in the past have all been business database type apps. And you know, I think I've kind of got those down. <laughs> so yeah. it'd be it probably be a little bit hard to impress me with, you know, oh, you made a database app that does this, that, the other thing. Okay, well, I could do that. So that's not going to wow me as much. As far as what I've seen from people, I mean, customers don't generally show me full apps of things. I'll often get little snippets of things that they have questions about or stuff like that. So I don't see a lot of full-blown apps uh, that aren't database business apps, which, you know, are always super, super useful, but they're not going to be like, Ooh, wow, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Uh, but it, I, so I do find it cool to just see when people build apps that are running their business mm-hmm. or someone else's business. That's just always cool to see. Cause most of the time you see these people wouldn't have an app using some other tool because it would have just been too prohibitive to make it. I see. With that iOS app that you mentioned, had you not known that it was developed with iOS, do you think would you have been able to tell, or was it really just well, that there, mine? There was no way to tell. I mean, it's not like there's a there's a giveaway that with any app that you look at that you can tell what it's made with unless you're, like, opening up the bundles and snooping around in there to see what frameworks and stuff. But when you're just using it, you can't tell from, a, you know, what made an app, really. Right. So this particular right. I knew ahead of time just because I had talked with him before he had finished it and before he put it up on the App Store. So I had, I was waiting for it kind of thing, but, uh, <laughs> but otherwise, yeah. no, you wouldn't be able to tell. Pretty cool. So another good question, I think, what advice would you give to somebody who is starting out with Sojo? Well, the advice would vary, I suppose, depending on what their experience level is starting out. Um, I mean, certainly if you've, and I often recommend this, if you have prior development experience and you're starting out with Zojo. Uh, the best thing to do is to probably just scan the reference guide, see what the commands are, get an eyeball of things so you know what it can do and what it can't do. You don't get to memorize stuff or anything. You just want to get a feel for it. So if you've got prior experience, you'll be able to kind of know what it is you're trying to build. Sketch out your pseudocode or your concepts, and then you can jump back into the docs or look up examples and stuff to figure out the nitty-gritty details. But a big thing would be just to dive in and start making something because the you're quickly going to see how how quick it is to bang something out in Zojo compared to what you might have been using before. And the other thing for people who have experience is to remember that, you know, Zojo doesn't have to substitute what you were using before either. I mean, it can complement it. You can use it right alongside it. When I was working at other jobs where, you know, I did .NET or Power Builder or something like that, I still used Real Basic at the time in my job to maybe make a utility app or something else because it was just faster than, than using the tools I used 
you know, for our enterprise apps. So for if you're a rank beginner, we I just finished the updates to our intro to programming guide. And if you have no programming experience, I can't recommend it that you just fire up Zojo and start randomly typing code in. <laughs> that's, not gonna, that's not gonna end well for you. Uh, you have to have some understanding of, you know, the flow of code, where things go, uh, that sort of thing. So the intro to programming guide update is probably where you're gonna wanna start because it just, it walks you through making kind of rinky dink apps, but it kind of takes you through that and it shows off a new feature as you go through. And that's really the only way to pick up something quickly. I mean, that's how I learned to program back in the day is looking at other people's stuff, modifying things, trying trying code, reading code, that sort of thing. And that's a great way to learn pretty rapidly. I mean, once you feel you've mastered things, you can start to dig into, you know, textbooks and stuff like that to get more background concepts. But you don't always need that depending on what you're building. All right, great. So... A couple of days ago, I posted to um, the Zojo forum and mentioned that we were going to be doing this and asked, you know, what questions should I ask Paul? And I got a lot of really good questions. So I'm going to go through some of those now, not in any particular order. Um, I'll mention, I'll, I'll give the people's name. as you know, who All right, that's a good idea. Was. So uh, Richard Corlett asked, uh, what do you do when you're not in front of your computer? What other interests do you have? You mentioned baseball. Um, and I know from talking to you in the past, you like to camp and stuff like that. But like, what what are your hobbies? Well, uh, certainly this summer, baseball is taking a uh, move to the forefront. Is that this year I joined a men's baseball league for the first time, playing baseball in a league for the first time since I was in high school, which was like thirty years ago. And are you uh, are you sore? <laughs> oh, after the first few games, I was sore for days. I would, you know, come home, pop the Advil, and then the next day I'm like I can't move or anything. But now I haven't I've been fine. It's uh, we actually have our last game is coming up just a couple days after that we record this. So and then we'll hit the playoffs and we'll see how we go. We, our team this year has a record of six wins and ten losses. We lost our first six in a row, which wasn't great, but uh, we've played better since then. But I, I mean, I love baseball. I love watching baseball, but I much prefer playing baseball. And I love that I'm able to play baseball now. I'm pretty much the starting left fielder on the team. And, uh, and I bat near the bottom of the lineup until I master my power stroke. But uh, I do have a seven game hitting streak currently. So that's good. I see. That's actually a good segue into another question that um, Kim asked. He said, how did you get into fantasy baseball and why do you like it so much? <laughs> well, before I jump into that, I'll also say you had mentioned that camping, uh, as I've talked to you about camping in the past, said, uh, that would be another thing I do when I'm not at the computer is uh, generally we have a family camping trip, usually right after school that's out for a week or two where we go somewhere and we camp and hang out and we're mostly unplugged for those couple of weeks. So that's kind of nice. And, uh, and probably the other thing that I do when I'm not in front of the computer is I'm in front of the TV watching cool science fiction shows that I can find. Um, this summer I'm focusing on Mr. Robot. So yeah, but there's a, there's a lot of good ones out there. So I'll, I'll often, uh, you know, I wouldn't say binge watch, but over a course of a month watch, you know, one of those shows that has like, 12 episodes or something like that. So that's it. Uh, as far as fantasy baseball, uh, that ties into the fact that, hey, if it's baseball related, I'm probably going to get hooked on it. Uh, and so I, I've been running a fantasy baseball league since, I don't know, 
since they were available online. <laughs> so wow. like 2000 or something. Uh, so I have a Yahoo one that I run. And if anyone is interested in joining, by all means, get in touch. I could, we can always use more players. <laughs> the yeah, maybe, uh, maybe that's something you could add to the show notes. <laughs> maybe you can sign people up for next year. Yeah. Uh, is that I can always use more uh, teams in the league that makes things more exciting when there's more teams. So I have a Yahoo Fantasy Baseball League. And then the last couple of years I joined, uh, one of my neighbors was in a more serious fantasy league. He used to be a uh, sports writer for the local newspaper. Now he's a teacher. And him and his buddies that worked at the paper and other places have been in a fantasy league for something like 30 years. They were doing it back when it was paper. And once a week, they'd get stats mailed back to them, and they'd have to, you know, put stuff together or whatnot. Now it's not all online, but these guys are serious. And frankly, I think I'm in over my head. <laughs> <laughs> I came in dead last last year, and I'm next to last this year. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, these guys are tough. Interesting. All right. Um, Bob Keeney asked, what are the biggest challenges um, that you face dealing with the documentation and the examples? And also, what's the most rewarding part of working on those things? Well, I I bet most people can guess the biggest challenges. Um, Mizojo's updated quarterly, right? <laughs> that means it changes a lot. And so the same issue that, you know, people have with, you know, having to, you know, check their projects with updates to Zojo, I have to check lots of examples to make sure that they still work with Zojo. And then I have to update them multiple times a year as changes are made. So that's probably the biggest challenge. Like for the iOS, uh, the 2016 release two that had a ton of iOS changes, uh, that pretty much broke almost all the iOS projects in some manner or another. Or if it didn't break them, we added new features that made the projects need to be kind of changed quite a bit so that they used the new features and were more, you know, designed better. So that's the big thing there with uh, going through stuff like that. The same thing with the doc pages. By far the big thing, though, was setting up the whole new doc site on what's now the Dev Center uh, and kind of moving away from the older media wiki uh, docs.zojo.com to the newer developer.zojo.com. That was a ton of work. And uh, I think for the better, the new doc site is a lot prettier, much, much easier to search. And from my standpoint, it is just way easier to put content in it. Working on MediaWiki is an absolute nightmare. Uh, so that kind of as you can see, looking at some of those pages that are not formatted well or out of date, it's just, it's hard to keep that up to date. Whereas the, the new one is much, much easier to keep up to date. But getting all that in place was many, many months of work. But now that it's there, that's that's good. And then that might end up being you know probably most rewarding too because I just I really like the way that has come out and the way it looks and how current it's able to stay. So I really do like that. But I mean, obviously, when you the most rewarding thing in general is always when someone gets back to you to tell you about how they use Zojo to do something. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, a programming tool, I mean, you can make anything with it. It's infinity kind of thing. So you never know what someone's going to make. And it's just always cool when people say, yeah, we use Zojo to do X. And you're just like, I never would have thought of that. And it's just cool to see. That's a good answer. Great. So another question that Bob asked is, if there was one thing that you could change about Zojo, what would it be? This might be a tough one for you. Or maybe it's easy. I don't know. Let's say. One thing I could change about Zojo. Hmm. 
would you want it to be more popular than it is? Like, well, it certainly would be nice if when you said, "Hey, you should try Zojo." People more often said, "Oh, what's that?" It did or didn't say, "Oh, what's that?" You know, they're like, "Oh, yeah, I've heard of that." Um, so having it uh, be, you know, more renowned would definitely be cool. Um, that that that's got to be up there because you know, even you know, when I'm posting stuff about it or writing articles or things, you know, it's all the first response is always, "Oh, I hadn't heard of that," or. Or they maybe remember the name Real Basic from back in the day, and they don't equate them as being the same thing any longer. Mm -hmm. I mean, as far as Zoju itself, you know, one thing I don't like, trivial, is I hate that big fat toolbar that's <laughs> <laughs> in the IDE <laughs> at the top. Yeah. I'd like a svelte, small, skinny little toolbar. Um, Working with other stuff that I, I can't talk about some of the things I'd want us to change because we've already talked about uh, those internally and they may change. So <laughs> I don't want to bring I, those up. Uh, I've, probably the other big thing that I would love to see is I would love to see Android support like most of our user community. So that would be cool. That's probably the big thing I get people asking me about. And I do have an Android device or two here myself that I'd like to make apps for. So. Yeah, I see. Um, okay, we've got a bunch of other really good questions. So one was, what's your opinion of software development in general and Zojo specifically as far like, what do you see as far as the future goes for software development as, you know, just in general and then specifically for Zojo? Like, where would you like to see it go in the future? Well, that that is interesting. Software development has been you know, since the beginning, and I, I've been involved largely since the beginning, I suppose. I mean, software from an app standpoint probably didn't really kick into like the late 70s. And, you know, it's definitely changed in complexity over the years. And particularly recently, you know, it's it's hard and easy at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it seems like there's a lot more to know there's more moving pieces they're they're smaller and easier to deal with but there's just more of them is that your take on it there's too? there's a lot of moving pieces nowadays you have to worry about security and networking and stuff that you know 20 years ago could have largely been ignored uh, maybe even 10 years ago so a lot of that is more challenging yeah um I mean, where is it going? I don't know where it's going. I mean, you've probably heard that thing that, you know, software is eating the world, that story that came up years ago. And it's just, software is everywhere these days. And so it's only going to become more everywhere. I mean, everything is going to have software. I mean, we were at Best Buy recently, and they have a refrigerator that's in there that has what appears to be like a computer built into the front door that I think has a web browser. <laughs> Yeah, there's. A, I've seen one where I think there's a, a webcam inside the refrigerator. Yeah, so that was the one. Hey, where yeah. you're at the store and you're like, oh, I forgot to open the door to the fridge before I left, so now I can just bring up my phone and look in the fridge. That that to me sounds like a crazy thing that only Samsung would think is a smart idea, but it just shows that you know software is everywhere. I mean, cars are having more and more software. You get the Teslas that have you know what looks like a giant iPad. <laughs> For their, for their interface. Yeah. And you can now do upgrades to the car's software to add features or tweak the performance characteristics or whatnot. So it's just 
all over the place. So learning how to make software is just such a valuable skill because at this point, it's no matter what you end up doing in life, you're probably going to get some benefit from understanding how software gets made. And of course, it always comes down to, you know, it should be easy to do that mm -hmm. or as easy as it can be and not, you know, complicated. It's just, and I, I fear that, you know, some of the more traditional stuff is just getting more and more complicated. I mean, the number one programming language right now is Java. It has been for like 20 years. I mean, that thing is a complicated nightmare with questionable support from Oracle and everybody seems to hate it yet. It's the most popular thing. I mean, it's like COBOL beforehand, I guess. I don't know, but it's just, it's a shame. So I'd really like to see where, uh, it's possible for people to make software and not have to fight with their tool sets. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, I, I say this all the time when I'm tweeting or talking to people, but I mean, I started coding because I loved it. It's fun. I wanted to do it. You know, when I was a kid, I would play baseball and I would code <laughs> in the morning. I would code on the computer in the afternoon. I would change in my baseball gear and go to baseball practice. And I did those things cause I love it. And ideally you want, software development and programming to be something that people want to do because they really love it. Do you, are you still in love with doing development? I mean, is that passion still there even today? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it's, I still, you know, as my wife likes to tease me about, cause she used to be a software developer, but I wouldn't say she loved it. You know, I'll read programming articles, you know, to relax before I fall asleep. <laughs> I read programming books all the time. Yeah. It's just, I, I find that interesting and I enjoy it. And I, and I, so yeah. And so that's why I, you know, I want to be able to do it. And, but on the other hand, I don't enjoy fighting with my tools. I mean, that's kind of how I got to the point when I was using .NET in the later years, it was just, you spend more time, you know, configuring Visual Studio or getting the right stuff installed in the right place, or just fighting with it all the time, as opposed to, I know I want to do this, but I'm, it's a battle and it drives me nuts. And that's why, you know, I just started using Zojo more and more because those battles went away and I could just make things. And that, that's fun. Yeah. You know, and I, I can relate to that too. You know, over the past year, year and a half, my use of Zojo for things has increased just tremendously. And, you know, it took some time to kind of wrap my head around how the language worked and just Zojo in general. But once I did, it was like, this huge hurdle that I had jumped over and, you know, now I, I love using it for so many different things. I think that's one of the things that makes Sojo so unique. You know, it, it's a really interesting and logical um, environment to develop in. And it's rewarding because once you, once you understand it, you can develop you know, for all the different platforms, so many different types of applications so it's it's just, you know, a perfect tool for people like you and I, who I think like to build things, you know, I, I kind of look at the work that I do as a developer as kind of like getting paid to build Lego with Lego blocks, you know, when we were kids and you'd, you'd build something, yeah. you can build stuff from scratch, right? You know, something that never existed before. So, right. Develop. And that's a huge appeal to build something from scratch. There was nothing here and now there's an app you've created and it does something, hopefully something that somebody besides you might even find useful. And, right. and that's cool. I mean, the first time I made an app that I put out for sale and someone bought it, I mean, that's, this would have been like 1990 or something when I made an Atari ST program that I put on the 
bulletin boards and shareware. But when I started getting checks in the mail from all over the world for people paying me money for something I made, it was, it's just a great feeling. And yeah. And like you said too, one of the interesting things about the tools they use, I, I think there are, it's easy to say that the tools don't matter, you know, that a, a good developer can use any tool. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think there are a lot of development tools out there that can get in your way, right, and discourage you. I think one of the things about Zojo is it, it never seems to do that. There's never a time where you're you're struggling with the tool. You know? Well, I saw I saw a tweet that I, I actually retweeted the other day, and it was it said something like in I'll probably get it wrong, but see if I can remember. It said in Ruby everything is an object, in Closure everything is a list, in JavaScript everything is a terrible mistake. And, uh, and then I did a, a quote tweet and I said, in Zojo, everything is awesome. And I just linked to that Lego movie song. Everything is awesome. There you and, go. Uh, and I just thought that was kind of funny. Cause you know, I hear from so many people that hate JavaScript with their very being and, but you're forced to use it for stuff. And yeah. I mean, it's, I, I do agree that, you know, any, developer with a certain amount of experience can probably work with any programming language, but the question is, do you want to? <laughs> right. And is, are they going to be efficient? Yeah. You know, and is, is the tool going to, you know, make them more or less efficient? You know, I think that's a, a very important, you know, so, and it's a good segue into another question too, uh, which you might not want to answer here. This is one from Gavin Smith. He asked, if you were forced to use something other than Zojo, which is probably your worst nightmare. What would it be? <laughs> it wouldn't be Java. <laughs> <laughs> no, it definitely would not be Java. I had the misfortune, or I should say have the misfortune. My son has been recruited by the high school robotics team to be on the, uh, to be one of the programmers for the robots. Now he's not in high school yet. He'll be only be in seventh grade this year. But all the high school programmers graduated last year. So the team is decimated. <laughs> They're going to be so bad this year. Uh, but they want to bring in some younger kids to start teaching them the ropes of how to program these robots now so that by the time they get to high school, they'll kind of know what they're doing. So I've been sitting in on the, the couple of the high school kids who graduated have been teaching some summer stuff to these other kids. So I've been sitting in on a couple of the classes. And unfortunately, to program these robots, you got to use Java. So I'm just sitting in there, and the kids are trying to explain Java to other kids who don't have much in the way of programming experience. My son has a little bit because I've shown him how to do some stuff in Zojo and walked him through some tutorials. So he got some concepts. So he was farther ahead than some of the other kids, but it was just funny because, you know, every time the teacher, the kid teacher would say, well, does anyone know how to do X? You know, I would be the only one that would raise my hand because <laughs> he was like, you don't count. <laughs> and, but I mean, as a perfect example, the first class the the agenda was install Java, install Eclipse, and install the robot libraries. And that took an hour and a half to do on like 15 kids' computers. This is just is an absolute nightmare. So I definitely would not pick this Java as a, a tool that I would have to use. Um, Can you think of anything that you would use? you know, that you're aware of? Uh, well, working with the Raspberry Pi a lot with Zojo, I've gotten to play around with Python quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of neat from a language thing. It's pretty similar to Zojo in that it's a little more readable rather than, you know, goofy punctuation and stuff that I don't care for when I'm writing code. So that one's pretty neat, but I haven't found 
you know, obviously there's no like GUI toolkit Python thing that I've seen. That's all command line stuff. So if you're doing command line stuff, I'd probably lean towards Python. Um, if you're doing GUI things, I mean, the one that I enjoyed the most from back in the day was something called Power Builder that I used. It was uh, used to be from Sybase. I don't know if they still have it anymore or if it's been sold to someone else. But it, it was very similar to Zojo. I used that primarily in the mid to late 90s. And that was probably my biggest comparison when I was evaluating Real Basic at the time was, well, can it do the stuff that Power Builder could do, which was used to build enterprise apps. And yeah, it could do everything that Power Builder did. And this was back in 2001. <laughs> so that's why I was like, all right, uh, Real Basic's for me because it's as good as this Power Builder tool that I've been using for you know almost 10 years. So that I, I when I used that tool, I actually enjoyed it and I liked it and I had fun programming. I did I have a lot of experience in .NET, but I didn't enjoy using it, and I didn't have fun using it, so I don't. I wouldn't want to pick that again. <laughs> yeah. So, so if you had your choice, you would stick most definitely with Dojo. Oh well, yeah. I mean, that's what I. Absolutely. It's always my first choice for stuff. I mean, when I was doing consulting work, the only other tool I ever used besides Dojo was unfortunately .NET, and that was ASP.NET to make web apps because at the time Zojo couldn't do that. <laughs> Okay. So another question that Gavin asked, he said, I assume like me that you love working from home. Uh, what challenges do you have related to that? Well, I do love working from home. Absolutely. Like I think I mentioned earlier, I've been working from home full time since 2008. And I don't think I could ever go back to an office. But luckily, more and more companies don't care. They, And if you, if you want to work from home, and you don't currently, you should check with your company, you know, maybe set up a trial or something like that, because it's pretty, you know, easy to do nowadays without a lot of impact. So look into it if you're jealous, but uh, I absolutely love it. And it's mostly just because, I mean, like I said, I like it because I, I have a routine and I got an office, you know, I don't ever work in my pajamas. I get up in the morning, I shower, I eat breakfast, read the paper, come up to my office, work. When it's lunchtime, I don't eat lunch in my office. There's no food in here. <laughs> I go downstairs. <laughs> I make myself a wrap or a sandwich. I eat downstairs. Maybe go for a walk or sit outside. And then I come back to my office when it's time to work. So having that routine makes makes it, I, I think, makes me love it more because I, I still have a separation between work and home because, you know, I mean, the, the challenges are, well, I am at home all the time. <laughs> So I don't go a lot of places, <laughs> you don't go out and see other people as often so that, you know, that, you know, you don't get the, when I work downtown, you could go out for lunch and walk to various different lunch places and buy lunch. Now I go down to the kitchen and I make my lunch. That's obviously, you know, a lot less expensive, <laughs> but you don't get as much variety. Uh, probably the biggest challenge for me working at home is just in the summertime when my wife, who is a teacher and my kids are all out of school. So you got from the end of June until the end of August, when they go back to school, it's more of a hustle and bustle around here than I'm used to the other months of the year. So that's always a little bit more of a transition. And the other part of course, is I'm in Maine where most of the time it's cold <laughs> And in Maine, generally speaking, most homes do not have air conditioning, generally speaking. And my home does not have air conditioning. But occasionally in Maine, the temps will hit 90s and humid. And my second floor office, when that happens, is not a comfortable place to be. <laughs> so that can become unpleasant. Luckily, 
because of our camper that we use for camping, which is parked besides the garage, it, uh, it does have air conditioning of all things. It's, it's hard to buy a camper without that air conditioning box that sits on the roof. So I can grab my laptop and go out to the camper, <laughs> flip the AC on in that and work in the camper when it's unbearably hot. So that's kind of my workaround. So my camper is actually in my second office sometimes during the summer. But yeah, overall, I mean, working from home is great. It's, it's, it's handy, you know, when the kids have an activity and I need to run out and do that, I can do that in the middle of the day because I can catch up on what I had to finish after dinner or something like that. It's, uh, it's nice and flexible that way. It's handy for when the kids were younger and they came home from school. It's, I think the cats like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like it's a good, a good fit for you. Another, I think this is more of a, a joke question, but Gavin also asked, do you like curly braces in your code? I think you recently tweeted something about that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. He's asking because of the, the tweet storm. I started a, a few days before we recorded this where I, I forget how that actually came up. There was, uh, but I tweeted something to the effect of saying that curly braces are awful. And you know, curly braces, if you see them in Java, you know, if you write an if statement, you're right. If true, and then your block of code starts with a curly brace. There's no keyword for then or anything like that, or end mm -hmm. if or anything. It's just curly brace means start your block, and a closing curly brace means close your block. And I said that they were awful. And people replied on Twitter to say that, oh, they're not awful. It's just the other thing. And But they're being wishy-washy. I mean, the truth <laughs> is they're awful. Uh, and they're off. why are they awful? They're awful because they're hard to type. They're hard mm -hmm. to see unless you've got a super sharp retina display and yeah, I mean, the people that use the curly braces have battles over whether the curly brace goes on the line with the if or the line after it and where you put your spacing and stuff. And I didn't even go down that horrible path. But uh, it's just I joked about that on Twitter and got some people riled up. But, no, I'm not a fan <laughs> of curly braces. Uh, I prefer, obviously, languages like Zojo that are more wordy. And, you know, I always liked Pascal back in the day. I, I'm sorry, but I did. I, I like wordy things, and it... And it's just because I find I read code probably a lot more than I write it. And I don't want to have to, you know, all right, memorize all these weird characters and what they mean when they're in certain positions or situations. And if it's just spelled out, there's no ambiguity. So I always like that. And that's my preference, you know. Obviously, I can use curly braces if I have to, of course. But and you get to remember. And then don't get me started on semicolons, though. That's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we won't we won't go there. So I'm going to go back to a question that Kem had asked. He um, he said he asked, "What is your strangest, oddest, most maddening professional experience outside of Zojo?" I'd be curious as to whether it's inside or outside of Zojo. Like, what's one thing you're like? Oh. <laughs> Did you strangest, think about strangest, oddest, or mad? Yeah, I I can't say things here madden me. I mean, probably. I mean quarterly releases are hectic so mm -hmm. those are can be you know hectic more than maddening where you know you've got to hustle and bustle towards the end to get everything packaged up so we can get stuff released uh i'm trying this is a funny little story is uh yeah this was the first place i worked i would often make tools for others in the company to use and i also would do other things like you know i would write you know, surprise, surprise, the documentation for whatever our architectural framework was, you know, 
the so-called architects would have created a framework, but there wouldn't be a lick of documentation anywhere about it. So I would write that up. Well, one of the tools I had made was this little tool for our testing group to connect to an Oracle database and look at the data that the apps were creating so they could verify things worked appropriately. As they didn't have a great way to, you know, necessarily see what the app was doing other than through the app. So I said, well, how about I give you a window into the database? You can't change anything, but you can see what's happening. So I made this tool, and it was actually pretty popular at work. It was popular enough that I actually convinced the company to, I don't know how I did this, but they gave me the rights to the app. <laughs> it, was, wow. it, was, it was written in Power Builder, actually, at the time, but I, I convinced them that, yeah, you know, this isn't worth anything. Why don't you just sign the rights over to me? <laughs> So they did. So somewhere here in my office, I've got a paperwork that has the apps for this Power Builder app from 15 years ago that signed over to me. That, uh, and I remember I, that ended up being the impetus for the one of the apps I actually sell. This maybe was Zojo, one of my SQL database apps. But anyway, I had made this app, and the point of my story is that I would send out you know a company wide email saying, "Hey, new version is out." Blah blah blah. And I had someone who had uh, replied after I sent that email and said something like you know, a little bit of a snarky thing and just said something like, well, what good's this app? What is it going to do for me? Or something like that. And I said, well, why don't you just read the readme or something like that? That was right in the email, you know, big file thing. says, read me and explain what the app is. Well, this person apparently thought my reply was snarkier than I thought his was. He was mad. <laughs> <laughs> he sent this email back to me that was like, threatening to meet me in the parking lot among all things but uh, i i don't think he got fired but he was really close so that was really maddening because there's like you know someone i worked with that like kind of went off the handle like that over a tool i made to help people always kind of bugged me but uh, (laughs) you know you never you never can predict people's reactions to things (laughs) yeah yeah, especially when you're communicating via email. Yeah, certainly email can mess that up because you know, I probably read his as being snarky. Maybe there wasn't any snark, and he probably read my reply as, well, read the, you know, read the read me, you moron, and I wasn't necessarily meaning that either. So, <laughs> um, One other question from Kim, which I thought was interesting, to get you to look back over your career. Uh, what do you know now that you wish you had known a long time ago, besides buy Apple stock or... Yeah, well, early. <laughs> isn't that what everyone says? Buy Apple stock in 1998 and hang yeah. on to it for 20 years and then retire. That's what everybody wishes they knew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see, coding-wise, what do I know now? Well, that doesn't necessarily need to be coding-wise. You know, just if you could go back into the into the past and you know whisper in your ear in a little time machine, go back and say, "Hey, Paul." do this? What what would it be? Gosh, I I don't tend to think back on things like that. I just probably the biggest thing, I mean, and this has nothing to do with Zojo or coding or anything whatsoever, is I probably would have tried out for the uh, baseball team in college. (laughs) So if that probably would be the number one thing that if I could go back, I would say, Paul, you're actually probably would make the team. As back then, I would have been, ah, oh, there's no way, I'm not good enough, blah, blah, blah. And I probably actually was good enough, but I was just too much of a chicken. So that probably would be the number one thing, because I think it would have been pretty cool to have been able to play college baseball. Yeah. All right. I'm going to shift gears um, 
start to wrap things up a little bit, but I'm going to start this part of it by asking a question that Gavin had asked, which is what has been your favorite XDC so far and why? My favorite XDC. Do you have a favorite or maybe? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I can say I, the one in Las Vegas probably wasn't my favorite, mostly because of the bright lights and noise from the casino and the cigarette smoke that was pervasive. But the conference itself was great. When we were in our rooms and isolated from that, you wouldn't know. Uh, Content-wise, what is my favorite? I mean, as far as sessions, um, this year's is the one I'm looking forward to the most. I actually had to have Dana tweak the schedule a couple times to make sure I could go to certain sessions. (laughs) Because she had scheduled stuff against sessions I was doing. And I'm like, no, you can't do that. I need to go to this other session. (laughs) So content-wise, I'm really excited about this year's. But, I mean, all the XDCs are really cool. I mean, my favorite one, maybe everyone's favorite one, is probably the first one I went to where I met a, met a bunch of people that I now still know to this day and talk with all the time. So that was really cool. You know, I met the Zojo team. This The first one I went to probably was 2006 or seven. And back then, you know, I, I was still doing .NET work, so it's I was unable to sweet talk work to pay for my Zojo conference trip. So I actually had to take vacation and pay for all that myself, but totally worth it. Do you think that attending that, that first XDC was uh, part of what kind of pushed you into wanting to do back then real basic development, you know, as sort of your full-time gig? Was that just the the straw that broke the camel's back? You're like, I definitely need to do this. Uh, I'm not sure. It almost might have been the other way around where I was using it enough that I was like, you know what? I'm using this tool an awful lot. I want to go to this conference and learn more about it and learn how some other people are using it. So because at that point, I would have been using it for like five years. And I'd actually made some apps that I was selling, you know, on my website and stuff at that point. And I and I always had big plans to kind of go on my own thing and maybe create a product based on, you know, uh, kind of offshoots of some of the pharmaceutical software I had built in the past, you know, because you work at a company that's making enterprise software that sells for a million dollars a year, you know, you always have this idea in your head that, well, if I go on my own, I can make a product that sells for a fraction of that. And I don't need to sell very many. And I'm sustainable. I'm self-sustained there. So I always had these, you know, lists of possible things I could build. And I always wanted to build them in Zojo. But as everyone knows, you know, building large projects by yourself is hard. It takes time. Yeah. And uh, if you're not getting paid to do it while you're uh, doing it, that also is hard. So that never ended up working out for me. But I mean, it was just fabulous going to the conferences and meeting other people that liked Zojo as much as I did that could talk about things. I mean, I can explain stuff to the cat or, you know, at dinner, be talking to my wife about this, that, or other thing, but they don't really care all that much. <laughs> Yeah, they're excited for your excitement, but they're right. not, yeah, they don't appreciate the, whatever it is that you just accomplished from a code standpoint. Right. And I, I mean, and yeah. So, I mean, even when I was using Zojo to make tools at work, I mean, I was the only one that was doing that. It was kind of my own thing. So, you know, if we needed a utility off to the side to, you know, manipulate files or quickly access the database to convert stuff to a different format, I'd probably bang that out in Zojo. And nobody generally would care. But I was fortunate in that manner that I worked at a company that was like that. Some companies would be like, that's it, you're fired. You use something outside the standardized tool set. But generally, I avoid working at companies like that. <laughs> gotcha. 
I think you kind of answered the next one, which my next question was going to be, are you excited about XDC 2016? And it sounds like you are. Are there, is there anything in particular that you're really looking forward to? You know, are there certain sessions or? Well, the, I am excited about it. I, I've never been to Houston, although we've, I've been to Austin a few times because that's where we've done XDCs in the past. I've never been to Houston, so it'd be kind of neat to see. Uh, it's always nice to go to XTC and see people that, you know, you talk with throughout the year, but you don't see face-to-face. So that's fun. Um, on the other hand, XTC is also very exhausting for all of us. So usually, you know, the week after, <laughs> I usually get a cold or something because I'm just so beat. Uh, as far as sessions, uh, I, I can only remember the one session that was uh, uh, scheduled against me was... Uh, Load balancing. It's a session on load balancing web apps that I really want to attend because I have no experience with that. And I'd really like to learn more about that. I think I could uh, write up some tutorials or docs about that that would be helpful for people to how to essentially take a standalone Zojo web app and kind of load balance that across multiple servers. And uh, that sounds like that would be really cool. Um, so I'm looking forward to that session. I know there's a ton of sessions on web and internet stuff that. Uh, I want to go to as you know in general my area of expertise is desktop type apps and web apps are not my as much area of expertise I've used asp.net quite a bit but that probably is the extent of my and Zojo stuff of course but I don't have a lot of super experience in JavaScript or things like that so uh, and I'm glad I don't have to know much about that but it also means I don't know much about web server technologies compared to what I know about desktop stuff. So I'm always eager to pop in and learn and hear about stuff like that. Gotcha. Well, I think it's going to be a good XDC. This is actually going to be my first one. So I'm really looking forward to it. And finally getting to meet people that, you know, I've interacted with online over the past year and a half. So I think it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think that's all the questions that, I had and that people had asked. Actually, there was one last one um, from Justin Elliott. He asked, what is the best 8-bit computer system from the 1980s and why? I think I know what you're <laughs> going to say. <laughs> uh, you see, Justin and I have had long discussions uh, in bars about this very important, life-changing topic. <laughs> but uh, I obviously am an Atari fan, so I always pick the Atari 8-bit series of computers. That would be like the 800 model, I guess. Mm-hmm. And Justin was a big Commodore 64 guy, so he always picked the Commodore 64. But, I mean, as I told him then, he's wrong, and, you know, he can't argue yeah. with me now. But, I mean, obviously the Atari was the best 8-bit system because it had the best color graphics. It had the highest clock speed. Um, you know, they all kind of maxed out at a whopping 64K of RAM. But uh, that that was it for me. That was the, the computer to have, and I, I really liked it. I can still I still have programs I made for that Atari sitting on my Mac right now is I have an emulator set up that can run the Atari and it can run virtual disk drives and I was able to transfer these programs off of the five and a quarter inch floppies over to three and a half inch disks over to hard disks and I still have it so I can fire up an emulator open up one of the games I made I, I got a one is a game I made with my sister that is like a, you got this little helicopter that flies across the top of the screen and you drop bombs in the canyon below and you got to blow a hole through where the cavern is so you can land your helicopter in the cavern and get to the next level. And I still, I have that game written in Atari Basic 
and it uses redefined character sets for the graphics. That's the part my sister did is she drew all the graphics and I did all the programming. And I still have that. And so, yeah, that's that's definitely the cool 8-bit thing. But, I, I mean, I got to say, though, 8-bit computers I didn't use for super long. I My favorite computer of all time is absolutely still my Atari ST, without hmm. a doubt. Interesting. I, I love that computer, and, and it, it was a great because it kind of taught me all the important stuff. You know, I used it with C and Pascal, and it was a windowing system just like computers are today, so I learned all about event programming and all that stuff. Things were way harder back then because you had to handle every single event yourself, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You had to redraw event for a portion of your window. You had to handle that event and redraw that portion of the window and all kinds. It was very tedious, but you got a good understanding for how these windowing type systems that, you know, they're still around today work under the hood, which was a great knowledge. I mean, all throughout college, I used that Atari ST for all my programming assignments. You know, we had almost all C programming assignments and that computer would run GNU C and I would run the same programs as the kids that uh, went into the computer lab and were running Unix. So, Wow. So it seems like that was a, a good investment for you. Yeah, yeah, definitely was a good investment. I, mean, I, st- I love my Macs now, of course. They're, they're awesome. But, uh, that, you know, that has a special place in my heart. Yeah. That actually, so there was one last question. I promised to be the last one I meant to ask you. Um, if you were going to do something other than programming, like if, if you had to choose a different career or had you gone in a different direction... What, what could you see yourself doing other than what you're doing now? Or can you even see yourself doing anything else? Well, I mean, not that you can ever choose, but I mean, certainly if I were able to play baseball as a career, I would pick that one. But I'm, in high school, I was flip-flopping between going into uh, school for computer science or my other choice was actually meteorology. Wow. Um, so I've always found the weather really fascinating. And you kind of do have to use computers quite a bit to analyze weather and do modeling and stuff. So I found that really interesting. I could certainly see that I could have looked into that more. But that that's, falls under the, I mean, I don't know much about, you know, how you have a career in weather. I mean, do you only work at the Weather Channel, National Weather Service, and local news things? I don't know. I mean, it doesn't seem like there's a large opportunity for weather people. But <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we're all glad that you went down the path that you, you chose and that you're here today. So and I know that, you know, I've said before, I've been, you know, in the Zojo world now for what, about a year and a half, and you've been a great resource. So thank you for all that you do. And I think I say that not just for myself, but for the entire community. So this has been a lot of fun. And I know yeah, that definitely. your episodes are normally about an hour long. I don't know if we ran over or not. I'm sure we did. I could probably ask you questions all day, but. Um, well, that'll be perfect because the idea is that you can listen to this podcast while you're flying to XTC, and uh, maybe it'll take up a portion of your flight, and uh, you'll arrive before you know it. And then we can interrogate you when we get there, right, with all the questions I didn't ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You we'll find you in some bar or something. <laughs> pin you down. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this, and uh, I'll let you do all the sign-off stuff like you normally do. All right. Well, thank you, Tim, for, I guess you would say, uh, interviewing slash conversing with me. This has been a lot of fun. I, uh, I do enjoy helping everyone in the community in any way I can to get them to use Zojo to make software. It's, it's my favorite thing. Have a great day, everyone.